Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey everybody, welcome to the Legends of Tomorrow After Show. We're breaking down Season 4, Episode 2, Witch Hunt. Everybody, there's mysteries in the air, and Lex, Michael, and I are going to solve them next. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz <laughs> Oh, yes! Welcome, everybody, to the Legends of Tomorrow After Show. Doing some hot social media updating right there. Look at that. You see a little peek behind the mirror. See how the magic happens here. A little Hocus Pocus bringing us into this episode. Of course, this episode has a lot to do about magic, so what better song to bring us in than a little song from Hocus Pocus, Lex Michaels' personal favorite movie of his entire life. Uh, it's the real Citizen Kane, Frank. <laughs> That's true. So as I usual, everybody, uh, we are gathered to break down every new episode of Legends of Tomorrow, airing Monday nights there on The CW. I'm one of your hosts, and the way less cooler, Frank Moran. I'm another one of your hosts, and the, the way too humble to accept such lavish, lavish, lavish praise, Lex Michael. Uh, and as always, the uh, the uh, the other twosome that round out our our fantastic Legends of Tomorrow panel, Dave Child and Lucretia Lyon, on assignment, not able to join us. It's tough, man. There's there's rogue unicorns and birds out there. Somebody's got to put a stop to their deviousness. That's true. I almost feel like uh, now that the the precedent's been set that it's just me and a rotating uh, member of the panel, I feel like that now has to be it for the season. Right. Well, that, that sort of mirrors the model of the show we're talking about, right? We're seeing in the last sort of season and a half a whole bunch of uh, parade of rotating cast members in and out. Very true. So uh, I guess Lucretia has no excuse but to uh, find herself right here across from me next week. Yeah. Yeah. It's her turn. She's up. That's true. She's up. Uh, but folks, you know what you can do? You can like us on Facebook, give us those five stars on iTunes, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and uh, the chat is up and running. So feel free to jump in, share your thoughts about uh, this episode in particular, or anything Legends of Tomorrow related as we start breaking everything down. But before we dive into anything in particular, Lex, we didn't get a chance to see you last week. I was, I, I was out uh, in the ether having some adventures. I, I was convincing my dad that magic is real. Well, that sounds a great use of your time. He's a, he's a very cynical man. He's he's very much, you know, he's like, uh, when we were young, my, my Harry Potter was called Howdy Doody, and he was a talking ventriloquist dummy, and he was horrifying, and we were so grateful. <laughs> How have you felt about, now that we've kind of added magic, by the end of uh, season three, Yes, really focusing on the magic, with John Constantine's involved, now we come into season four. How have you liked introducing magic as kind of like the, the main propellant of stories for this season? Frank Moran, is there a more bonkers show on television right now than Legends of Tomorrow? Not, no. It's well, I mean, there might be some other ones, but in terms of, I, I feel like easily hands down of all the DC uh, TV shows, hands down the most bonkers. It's got some of the most fun characters, the most whimsical adventures, and now we've spent enough time with these folks that we feel for all of them. We we our hearts break with them. We cry when they cry, we laugh when they laugh. And on top of that now we get John Constantine fighting demonic unicorns. That is what is best in life. You know, you, you speak like we've kind of grown with these characters, and if we look back over these, you know, now into our fourth season, do you feel these characters other than maybe 
I'd say maybe other than Sarah, I've really grown and changed that much. Sort of. Because if you track it over, like, say, Green Arrow or Flash, yes. if you were to look back, I think you would see some some changes in the characters and a lot of the dynamics between yes. them all. You know, for, for better or worse, some have kind of slipped and backpedaled a little bit and kind of replayed the same things over again. But I think you would look over the, those seasons and see a change. Yeah, I think there are a number of characters that definitely progress. I mean, this this TV universe has been in existence now for, what, seven years? Arrow season seven now, yes. I think. Um, some characters have definitely shifted uh, over the years. But I also think there are plenty of characters across all of the shows whose circumstances shift, but who remain pretty constant. Like, I think McRory is a perfect example. We've gotten on Legends of Tomorrow to see so many different wrinkles to his character that we didn't get to see in any of his other appearances. But I wouldn't say Mick has fundamentally shifted too far. Other than, I mean, he had a big one. Other than, like, I'm going to be a nice guy now. But that was that was a while ago. That was, what, four years ago now. Yeah. He kind of had a shift towards, I'm going to be a nicer, nicer person, relatively nice person. I'm not going to be as super murdery, I guess, which is a step. <laughs> but since then, yeah, he's kind of remained constant. We get to see he's, he's a little bit sensitive. We get to see We get to see what he is already that we didn't necessarily see before. But he's sort of a fixture while circumstances pivot around him, for example. Yeah, because I, I feel like – and I, I throw out Sarah as somebody who kind of grew a lot. And I feel like – is that because she spent so much time on Arrow and had a lot of work done on her character before she even came over to Legends? Right. And so certainly Mick uh, and Ray had their origins there on both Arrow uh, and Flash, respectively. But very little work done with Mick. I mean, it was just kind of – he came in as just like a, a bit with Captain Cold. So there wasn't a lot of deep diving into him. You know, but like I'm kind of – all right. You know what? I was about to backpedal, but now I think I'm backpedaling on my backpedal. Okay. I was going to say like, well, well, Snart's death did profoundly change Mick, but did it? It made him profoundly sad. I think yes. it definitely bonded him further to the rest of the legends, without question. Did it change him all that much? I don't fundamentally. I don't think so. I mean, I think it, it helped give him that last little push. I suppose yeah. to his one significant shift uh, over the course of his appearance in this, uh, his appearances, plural, in this universe. But I don't know. I don't know if I can if I can say with great confidence, yes. Uh, that that was a, a massive uh, tectonic shift in his underlying fabric. Because I, I would look at uh, Ray Palmer as somebody that uh, on Arrow, especially when he was first introduced, seemed like a guy who had his act together, oh, was Ray, bouncing everything. But, but I feel like he's yeah. been on a steady kind of decline. Descent into madness? Yes. Yeah. And just not always having his act together. I don't know if we're starting to see the season where he's starting to kind of make a U-turn. I don't know. The the story of Ray Palmer is the story of a man fed up with the confines of corporate existence and who commits fully to being a living cartoon. <laughs> and over the course of, uh, what, a season of appearances on Arrow and four now four seasons of Legends of Tomorrow, we are watching this journey come to fruition. Uh, yeah. And uh, it is interesting because we do get to see him uh, step in to try to combine science and magic. I Don't you want to – I so badly want to go back to uh, Ray Palmer's first appearance, Brandon Routh on Arrow, and juxtapose it with this That's Ray Palmer. True. The version of Ray Palmer who's like – who is little boy excited about well, everything, I guess. But in this case, yes, the merging of magic and science. But also he's the same dude who – it seems like he's real pleased, like, yes, not to be a pig anymore, but he's real pleased to have had the experience of being turned into a pig and emerging uh, uh, again nude in his buddy's arms. 
He seems like the kind of guy who's really into that type of thing now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, who wouldn't want to spend time as a pig? You know, you kind of learn a few things about walk, yourself. Walk in somebody else's shoes. Or hooves. Or hooves. Yeah, as it would be. Pig shoes. Uh, you know, uh, I'm sure, well, we're, I think we're just waiting here at AfterBuzz for some great farm-related show. Because when it does happen, I know we'll do an after show about it. Yeah, you know what millennials love? Farming. Absolutely. Uh, but you know what? AfterBuzz here today, we produce network, uh, we're the network that produces after shows for nearly all your favorite TV shows. From dramas, reality TV, sci-fi, and more, there is no network that works harder to serve you, the television fans. But we need your help. So we're asking that you please subscribe to one or more of our YouTube channels. And by subscribing to our channel, YouTube's going to suggest content that's tailor-made for you, and you'll help AfterBuzz continue to grow. And if you're worried about those pesky notifications, you know what, Lex, they don't have to what? subscribe to them. Yeah, you can turn them off. Really? Yeah, absolutely. They're all optional. That's appealing. That's right. So, you know, the, hit that subscribe button now. And for this channel, check out all of our AfterBuzz YouTube channels as well. And if you let us know you did so in the comments, you know what, Lex Michael, he might start divulging you know, maybe a secret or a tip on how to live on five-star reviews. I, I'm actually I'm saving some of that for my book, Frank. Oh, understood. All right, maybe we can get a uh, just a. I'll give you I'll give you a little. I'll give you a tease. All right, so give there you tease. go. So uh, for now, though, thanks for being the best fans around and for helping make us the ESPN at TV talk. Mm. Yeah. So I, yeah, I would I would love to help, but I'm not you, and I can't I can't tell Frank Moran what you like because Frank Moran is the man at the top. No, 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 not at all, not at all. But you know who uh, is not at the top of his game as well, though for sure is John Constantine. That's very smooth. Thank you. That's great. Is uh, I liked it. we saw last week that he's gotten uh, he's in trouble with some sort of uh, magical force, as he always seems to be. And uh, as much as he said, like I would never, ever, ever, ever be a part of this team. Cut to hey everybody, <laughs> I'm hungover. <laughs> I'm gonna go get drunk again. Where is a what does he say? What does he say? A stiff one. Yes, and he says I'll leave. I'll leave to your discretion what that's actually referring to. And he refuses to actually be saying that he's a member of the team. He just prefers to be a consultant. Yes. So I feel like that is like the special guest star that Heather Lockley would get at Melrose Place. I'm not a real, <laughs> not a part of the cast. I'm just a special guest star. Oh, it feels very Iron Man two Tony Stark to me. The uh, I don't want to join your super secret boy band, Tony Stark. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, so uh, although I do like Ray being very excited because that means he can update the chore wheel. Oh my god, that's right. Yeah. Oh, he's going to have to shift that chore wheel around a whole bunch after this episode. But do you really see Constantine doing any sort of chores? It depends on how how many sizes his heart grows over the course of this season. Do you, I, I mean, I feel like everybody loves Constantine as the character he's been portrayed on. He's you know, he's got an animated film in the DC TV universe. He's he's had his own series as well. And and for all this, you know, for the length of his comic book run, which is still continuing now on DC, he's just got this essence of a character that you don't want to see him ever become the the warm fuzzy guy. I definitely don't want to see him become the warm fuzzy guy. That's that's true. I do like my Constantine real real scuzzy. But like, so I've actually been going back and reading some of the oldest oldest the initial issues of Hellblazer, like one through I think I'm I'm through like 22 now. And one thing that is uh, pretty consistent, this is how I think we find our way to like hyper domesticated. John Constantine, who wants to do chores and be a part of the chore wheel. There are so many instances where magic is uh, is used almost uh, in a psychedelic way. You've read these, right? Yeah. Right. So I can see him under the influence, willful influence of some uh, imbibing magical spell where he's essentially experiencing, you know, it's like a really awesome mushroom trip where he feels at perfect oneness with like the, with the universe and the cosmos and, and earth magic. And by extension, like with the team and the wave rider, and suddenly he's just like not like you know apron and like making muffins and stuff, but he's just way into like yeah, chill wheel, 
Yeah. <laughs> issues. Well, we do get to see as the legends go off uh, on their adventure, which we'll get to in a moment. But we get to see what how he's going to integrate at least with one member of the team. And that's Mick. And I feel like if you're going to leave John Constantine alone with anybody in the Wave Rider, uh, probably the worst choice would be Mick. You'd think my hope is that, uh, of course, Constantine immediately not taking any guff. I hope these two bond uh, real intensely by the end of the season because I feel like they would have quite a bit in common. I don't think Constantine would think too highly necessarily of Mick uh, as um, a tactician, say. But I actually think if they got really, 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 really trashed, they'd hit it off pretty well. That's true. Uh, the way that montage is cut together, it gives you the feeling like, they, oh, no, this has been going on for, for weeks. Yeah. But no, 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 really, it's just in the span of hours mm-hmm. that this montage is. So, I mean, he goes from, uh, what, uh, you know, soaking his uh, his book of spells in, in water because it's uh, bound in human skin. Well, sure. Yeah. Uh, to then eating, uh, watching football, soccer, uh, eating uh, marmalade with uh, on his crumpets. Crumpets. Yeah. Uh, you know, so. <laughs> uh, was, that was all I had to add to that yeah, was crumpets. crumpets. I, I agree with, with that part for sure. But I feel like Constantine is the kind of person that, say, like with Ray or with Gary, that they they might be more bright or more optimistic, but he doesn't think less of them for it. For it. Right. He just likes them for who they are. Right. I mean, I, I don't think he'd be afraid to use them f- for whatever purpose he might need to get to further his own agenda. Right. But he doesn't. I don't feel like he's ever being. Uh, he's putting. He's being fake around them. Sure. I could track that. Yeah. I mean, it seems kind of like a like a genuine like. Oh yeah. Hey Ray. All right. Nice to see you. Or Gary. You know, it seems like he's genuinely interested in these people for however length of time he's around them. And right. Then, and then when they're gone, it's like, all right, I'm not gonna really think about you. But if I see you again, hey, all right, good to see you. Right. Versus, are you, are you comparing that to like how he is with Mick? Say, it'd be interesting to see how Mick how it, how it will be with Mick because I feel like he's not somebody that's just going to pretend to be nice. He's just going to be him, and if we get along, that's great. And if we don't, okay. Maybe the friction is that they're two often drunk, belligerent, surly guys who don't want to admit it to themselves, but they see a lot of themselves in the other. Look at you. Somebody's got right. lessons going to be learned. Right. They just need to cry and hug. And they're <laughs> going to be honestly, I feel like I feel like Constantine would be down to cry and hug a hair sooner than Mick would, but probably only under the influence of like that psychedelic earth magic. <laughs> well, I'm going to ask you cuz I, I look to you for in terms of uh, great plays on words. You know, you're, you? you're such a wordsmith. Am I? Lex Michael. Absolutely. Have a you know you're very dexterous with the, the the English language. A minute ago, all I could come up with was crumpets. That's beautiful, like, word. and that beautiful. was only is only because you just said crumpets a minute before that, <laughs> less than a minute. In fact, mere seconds. Who did you like better? Did you like Ray's uh, combination to describe their new search for magic, magical menaces as mysteries, or did you prefer Sarah's? Uh, we're gonna get these uh, get our puritans. This is tough. This is tough because at least at least Sarah exhibited self awareness after the fact. But Sarah Lance should know better. <laughs> I expect better of Captain Lance, the White Canary. I, th- that's kind of Ray's territory. That's his comfort zone, right? Like that's sort of the the sphere he operates in. Captain Lance, tisk tisk. However, however, I'm gonna give her a pass. She gets one. 
All right, that's it. Okay, no more wordplay for the rest of the season for you, Sarah Lance. That's it. <laughs> you you just no you just uh, you just be uh, you just no you do you. <laughs> you do you know what you you wordplay all you want you you go for it. Frank is making me make these horrible choices. I wouldn't ask okay. these questions were it not for Frank. Moran. That's right. I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna, Sophie's choice uh, for these Legends of Tomorrow examples here. That's right. I do I do the mythodories. That's that's pretty good. Well, the big thrust of the episode, uh, well, we've got Nate off on his own mission, which we'll talk about in a more moment, but the main thrust of it is a magical uh, uh, intrusion has been in, uh, seen in Salem 1692, and they go back to figure out what it is. Of course, it ties, ties in with the uh, Salem witch trials. And there is a uh, a turn on what you might think about what the the magical creature is. It turns out it's a nice play of the, the Disney fairy godmother kind of archetype. Apparently, the preferred term is Salem witch hysteria. Ah. Because trial implies that there was due process. Oh, all right. Well, look at that. I, I internalized. I, have I brought up to you maybe on this show that I lived in Salem for about a year, give or take? Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. So they they're very you know they're very big on the whole witch city thing, and yeah, they'll they'll correct you. It's like, and they won't get like tight about it. They won't get angry. Well, some people might, but no, it's they kind of like no no no. We it's the Salem witch hysteria. Specifically for that reason. Very good. But I also feel like that that is only a small... I don't feel like that that is spread much further outside of Salem. No, I feel like, no, no, Frank. It fixed everything. It really? retroactively fixed everything and nothing bad happened to those people. Okay. It just seems like everybody else I've ever think always refers to it as a trial. I, me too. Yeah, but it's like yeah, you're just fighting that... No, it's a hysteria. I guess it's like people who have an opinion about this sort of lean that way. Uh, do you... I, this could see like a, I could see... Much like Legends kind of plays homage to a lot of different shows or films uh, through their various episodes, that they could treat these a lot of these magical monsters as sort of uh, plays on other archetypes. This we get like a Disney fairy godmother one. Very explicitly, I mean, clearly, right, intended to be the fairy godmother from Cinderella. And we yes. get we keep throwing out lines or bits from the movie and stopping them just short of finishing the line, presumably for legal reasons. <laughs> yeah. Did, did you know that the mouse is a bit litigious? Uh, so we get like bibbidi-bobbidi. And yep. we get, uh, what is it, a, a dream is a wish your heart? Yes. We get that one. Yep. But very clearly intended to be that fairy godmother. Uh, and she, which even alludes to about, uh, you know, why would somebody want to pick a glass slipper? That seems, it's uncomfortable and yes. impractical. I mean, she's not wrong. No. It's a weird thing to ask for. I did like when she does appear, though, and she starts to talk and then the music starts. And I do like Ray going, whoa. I, did anybody else hear music? I like the idea that there's just music starts generating as this, as she starts talking. I'm still really I'm now I'm really stuck on the glass slipper. Like Cinderella's running in those. What if they break? What's going to happen to her feet? That's a lot of laceration. That, that sounds way. horrible. Yeah. Why would you? How old is Cinderella supposed to be? I could almost buy if she's a kid. I could buy a kid not thinking that through. But if she's a kid, what's that prince doing with her? I'm I'm gonna guess like what eighteen or above. You know, right? Yeah. Well, they but, didn't have Google in those days. They didn't have the internet. You yeah. couldn't look up what happens to your feet when glass shatters or encasing your foot. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, because she does, she does she does a little run down those stairs too at the uh, to get to her her carriage. Yeah, this is not fairy godmother's right. Yeah. Fairy godmother was the real hero of this episode, That's Frank. True. <laughs> well, uh, but she uh, we find out though is that a a woman Jane Hawthorne has been accused of witchcraft. Her daughter Prudence. Uh, is now they they think oh my gosh she probably has a demon attached to her John Constantine feels this is very easy to get rid of oh well yeah, yeah, yeah easy peasy lemon squeezy we can get rid of this demon that's attached to her and they find out that it's not so easy 
that uh, they are bound. And so if that you cast this uh, this this witch, this fairy godmother, back to hell, she's going to drag Prudence with her. It's a dilemma. That's, That's a pickle. True. How the Guardian's going to get out of this banana smasher? What? I don't know. Well, see, that's why he's a wordsmith, everybody. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I, I, I do like the twist on it, though, as he, as he describes the setup for this uh, this magical entity, though, mm-hmm. that there are just some that bind themselves to a host, and they can only do what the host asks of them to do. They just can't be their own malevolent, malevolent entity. Right. They have to be asked by somebody to make something happen. So like a, like a djinn. Yeah, like a, yeah, absolutely. Like an evil genie. There you go. Like like if if Jafar actually did what he was supposed to do. But you only but you get unlimited wishes. Right. So yeah. better than a genie. Yeah, that's true. So uh the course goes like how do we how do we get rid of this this uh this this fairy godmother and not get have cast prudence down to hell as well. Right. And the only way to do that is to get prudence to voluntarily say, We're done. I don't want this great power that I could have if I, you know, keep myself uh, around you. And how does a young woman who's lost her mother, or a young girl, I should say, uh, who's lost her mother and could possibly see her get killed? When, right. Why would you want to give up that power? Right. Is it – should we assume that all of the magical folk in the Disney universe have to abide by some of the same restrictions? Like could the – like the genie in Aladdin's very specific about I cannot bring people back from the dead, won't do it. Fairy godmother, does she have the same rule? This fairy godmother seems like she would totally be on board with raising a whole bunch of dead people to murder Prudence's enemies if asked. Yeah. Couldn't she just raise her mom from the dead again? But, uh, or does she follow that rule? But – I think anytime somebody gets raised from the dead, it feels like they never come back the same. That's always the hitch. She's always it? right. There's always a consequence. So, I, yeah, I feel like, yeah, you could bring her back, but she'd probably be some, you know. She plays the accordion now. It's fine. We'll adjust. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah don't ask me why my mom plays the accordion. She was dead for a while. <laughs> it's a whole big thing. Let's not get into it. Uh, so what I liked about this whole episode, though, of course, is the interesting thing with uh, you know, the twist with the Disney archetype. But it's also about Zari, too. Yes. Who has seen her mom at the end of uh, the season premiere back in 2018 when she was uh, a younger mother and, and Zara was just a child. And having that compulsion to want to go and talk to her and try to change her mother's future because of all the persecution that was going to lie ahead for her. Yeah. So a lot of what we're seeing in these first two episodes with Zari's story, uh, and I'm real glad that they, they seem to be running with it, it does it not feel to you uh, incredibly socially relevant? At yeah. the moment. And uh, Legends of Tomorrow is a show that has not historically worried too terribly much about addressing real world social issues. Uh, Supergirl has been the heaviest lifter on that. I think last season, a lot of shows took a step back from exploring like these actual real like sociopolitical real world ideas through metaphors like aliens and magic and whatnot. But Legends, right? Unless I'm forgetting something super hard that's never really been a priority for them they want to do like the big fun adventure party show but i really like that they're finding what what to me feels like a very organic way to start injecting some of that into the show because it's a little bit important right now well and i feel like uh, unlike every other season they've they really seem to make a be making a concerted effort to keep some of it still ground in 2018 yes with the Time Bureau, with Nate possibly now just working more at the Time Bureau than he is being on the Wave Rider and working directly with the Legends. I do like that somebody finally acknowledged, like, we don't make any money. Like, we actually have nothing we can go back to, really. We might have people in our lives, but we don't have 
homes. We don't have jobs. We have literally nothing we can go back to unless somebody's nice enough to let us crash on their couch. And, like, how many – did Nate have friends, you know? You know, it's it just the way that he kind of painted himself at the beginning. I felt like he didn't. Right. I felt like he just kind of just threw himself into his history books and kind of pursued that at the expense of any sort of friendships he may have had. Right. Yeah. I, I guess we're supposed to read Nate to a certain extent as kind of like the, the super isolated, nerdy, like all, maybe arguably unpopular guy. But he looks a little bit like Shazam to me. So it's hard to it's hard for me to think of this dude as like uh, as as uh, well, I was going to say as an outcast, but no, that's pretty easy. I can I can picture that quite clearly. But I also think it could be just somebody that not not deliberately in a sense kind of outcasting himself right he's just somebody that may have had friends but then gets so wrapped up in his uh, own pursuits and that history he just, and yeah he yeah. just lets his friendships kind of wither and die that i could see i could definitely see that further than like no no one that handsome is ostracized socially no. uh I, but i could definitely see i could definitely see him just going you know what i'll be i, I got this you guys go have fun you guys go have fun i'm gonna have my own kind of fun with this book <laughs> and myself that's right. That the uh, deductive uh, historical analysis there, and not for nothing. Like how callously his dad dismisses the entire idea, if as if that is not an entirely valid pursuit. The uh, we'll jump back more into the Salem witch trial. We'll kind of dovetail back into uh, Nate's storyline here with his dad, because I, Dave, and I had talked last week, and my thought was well. Clearly, if we're seeing Tom Wilson around, you don't cast a name like that if you're only going to see him in one episode. So he seems like he's going to be kind of reoccurring at least a little bit. And we had surmised that it, it was going to be leading up to maybe the end of the season. Because when he's saying he was working on a secret project, we figured like, oh, this is probably going to be something that's going to factor heavily into the final run of the show. And then that, that's when you're going to see their their two worlds kind of collide. But I give it up for Legends for kind of zigging where I uh, thought they were going to zag. And we see them come together much sooner than I expected. Yeah, second episode of the season. I also like the fact that his father, Hank, completely has accepted that time travel is a thing. Like, it's a department that is in his purview. But I like that he draws the line at magic. Like, I I like that he'll accept something as far-fetched and fanciful as time travel because it has, in their world, I suppose, a an actual scientific basis. But magic meant men turning to pigs and back again? No, sir. That's a bridge too far for, for Hank Hayward. Doesn't it seem, at least for me, that when, I, uh, when Rippet said he had set up the Time Bureau... I had imagined that it existed in the future. I mean that you know that it was incorporated, that it was started as a agency a hundred years from now or something that like is, that. That it's, is sort of what I pictured too. Yeah, but to have it now apparently in twenty eighteen, right? Apparently, he actually started it last year. It seems so like it, it seemed weird to me to figure like, oh, we're just modern day twenty eighteen and we've got a time bureau. It's possible, I suppose, that they did create it in the future and found a way to put the entire building in, you know, nineteen eighties New York or wherever. Maybe it just seemed it, it seemed weird to me to think like, oh, all right. I mean, I, I I know the time cop; they've got their whole agency as well too. But you know that. I guess that's a few, that was set in the, two, the early 2000s. So I guess, yeah. you know, all right, we've caught up to Time Cop time. So I guess it's we can have our own time bureau. Oh, we've caught up to Time Cop time. Yeah. That's why the story's ending. There's nowhere else <laughs> for reality to go. That is true. Uh, so we see, of course, Nate finds out that his father is the one that they're going to be having the big budget meeting on because uh, Nate, since he has a lack of finances there, is staying at the Time Bureau, just kind of camping out there while he tries to figure out what he's going to do uh, for, for money. 
And so Ava says, hey, help me out with this budget meeting. His dad is the one that they're going to be pitching to. And he's like, I can't do it. Let's turn it over to Gary. And uh, Gary, as you would expect, for, despite his best efforts, he just kind of you know bumbles through it and, and kind of tanks the meeting. But he's so enthusiastic. Yep, uh, you, you got to give it up for his passion. Let's get. We're going to be. We're going to do this together like ham and eggs. Yeah, you can't. You can't buy that kind of caring. Look at my nipple. It got bitten off, and that kind of commitment. That's true. That's true. Right? Like I don't know about you, but if I knew I was talking to the head of the entire department, the, the person who could ostensibly shut us down, right, or could at least sort of influence that decision, I'm so sure. I'm so dedicated to making this point and proving that magic exists, not just for my job, but for my friends, that I will expose my mutilated breast to this man <laughs> who could who could ruin us all professionally. Do you like the idea of kind of separating it a little bit and having uh, a, a Time Bureau 2018 kind of setting as something that we can cut to for story points throughout the season? Hard to say, right? Like this early? True, uh, but it's just like the idea of it, Do you, uh, as opposed to like, hey, we're just... Do you, I, there's at least some kind of fixture in present day that we're always going to be going back to as opposed to now we're every episode we're kind of traveling throughout to different points in time. You you can do a, a lot. Potentially you could do a lot with that format existing alongside the really wacky out there time traveling Star Trek-y type shenanigans. Um, and you could use it. You could use it to ground the ongoing season-long story, right? Like, uh, while the legends are all out there having one-off adventures, you're going back in time or going to the future or going to, I don't know, the, the moon or going to Atlantis or wherever they end up. Uh, you can occasionally pop in with Nate and Ava at the Time Bureau, and they're working on something else. Like, something that, that seems like they're, they're kind of putting pieces together. They got, like, the red lines on the board and whatnot. <laughs> And eventually it all kind of ties back in together leading into the finale when everybody has to, you know, do the, do the pretty standard hero thing where everybody comes together at the end for a big push. It, it'll be interesting to see if it's a every episode kind of thing that we're seeing or every so often kind of bit we're seeing. So, so far, I mean, two episodes, uh, yeah, uh, one episode in where we've seen it. Now, two episodes in, we've kind of seen that 2018 is kind of a, another established locale. Is that every episode we're going to see? We're going to have to find some way to get Ava and Nate and the Time Bureau kind of into the story. Well, right. Like, I feel like even though Ava is not on the Wave Rider at, at all, really, uh, we still see her a whole bunch. Way far more episodes than we don't, I think. So I'd say it's definitely conceivable, especially if we're going to run with uh, the Time Bureau as almost like a second home base alongside the Wave Rider. And the fact that we saw Ava and uh, Sarah try to at least make a, a very uh, kind of take their relationship to the next level. Right. Despite being in separate locations, it, it would be nice to see them doing things as a couple would do. And not for nothing, now, you know, one of Sarah's old flings is living on the ship with all of them. So there could be like some 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 character something some character that's what writers call it frank they call yeah. it some character something some character, character something i like it all right it's a it's a it's, a, it's an industry term right. look at you it's what hemingway said likes michael dialed in it's what uh it's what uh ben affleck and matt damon said when they were writing goodwill hunting that's character true. something something <laughs> character, character something yep. and they won an academy award i like them apples the uh <laughs> so uh to go back to uh, Salem, where the majority of our story is taking place at, yes. we do get to see uh, Zari uh, really kind of let go, like drop that sarcastic front 
and really let the outrage that she's seeing as this witch trial happens and we see Jane just being accused of being a witch and going to be you know, put on trial and then killed she kind of loses control and just starts taking her totem and starts going to town yeah didn't really do anybody any favors uh, it was interesting though to see her really just kind of embrace that kind of the darker aspects of her abilities and stuff in that moment and just wanting to hurt people that she feels will be hurting many people. Yes, uh, definite, definite tactical blunder in the moment, but very motivated. And again, like it, it really did. It felt, it felt like they were not so subtly commenting on on the world as it exists now. But I, I love that they were able to make it play as organically as possible, right? Like the Salem witch trials is you could use that as a great. How often do you hear things referred to as witch trials? Because it's a very apt metaphor. Yeah. Uh, gets thrown around a lot willy nilly, but it's a very apt uh, metaphor. It's the most obvious one. So it's great that you can you can use it as uh, as metaphor as allegory, but then you can also use it to tell a really organic character story that's building for Zari, not just from the premiere, but also what was established for her going back in the previous season. So the moment where she gives into that, it is like it it's very affecting because you don't want to see her make that choice because you you know right like it's it it can be very tempting and very easy to allow yourself to fall into the anger mm-hmm. and to want to want vengeance and it's it, you can even I, it's understandable to try and rationalize like you know like well they're going to hurt people i have to i have to do something to stop them because they're going to hurt people but that that's not the way it it is always interesting when they go through these kind of uh stories in a superhero-esque show that uh, you get to see more of a darker aspect of their powers present themselves, things they normally wouldn't do. Because we usually see Zarya just kind of use it as more of like she can fly, she can kind of lift people up, maybe shoot wind blasts. But this where she's sucking the air out of people's bodies and mm-hmm. out of their lungs. Like, never seen Zarya exhibit that, and that was really an interesting twist. It was a twist. very creative use of that power, too. Yeah. Yes. But that is, that's very much a, a pretty standard superhero trope. Like, they're, yes, the power, the, the sort of dark inverse, whether it's another character or, like, their own darkness manifesting outwardly. Like in Spider-Man 3, when he dances. Oh, yeah. Well, the less said about that, the better. The, uh, we do see at the end, though, uh, I was kind of uh, curious for a moment because she gets put on a, on, a, on a big pyre, along with Jane as well, and uh, the fire is lit, and we see the totem get thrown in there. Did you have a moment where it's like, oh, are they destroying the totem? Is I that what so. her arc this season is? Yeah. But they didn't. Which I'm glad. Because, I'm kind of glad they didn't. Because I, I don't, I, you know, if she, it's one for her thing to, for her to be just around, but I'd hate for her to see her lose her power as well. Right. Well, right. Especially now that we're losing another powered person off the ship. We need, we, I, I want her out in the field with everybody because yeah. presumably if she lost her power, she'd still be part of the team. I assume she would find some integral role to fill, but for her own safety you'd think unless they can steal her like a mech suit or something she'd have to stay on the wave rider till they figured something else out so i'm glad that that is presumably not the case <laughs> unless she's like real sad she's like i really liked the housing for this i i feel like i can't guys without it like that was my whole thing it like really tied my whole aesthetic together can't do it i can't i'll be here <laughs> well we do see that uh, they are is always able to convince prudence that this is what you, isn't what your mother would want so Prudence says, you're right. I can't let violence be the way. Uh, I've got to be better than this. She casts out the godmother. Constantine comes at that bright moment to be able to bind her and leads her off, not to just banish her to hell first, but to offer her a chance like, hey, if you want to be with another host, you know, I could I could use some help. I think my favorite element of this scene actually is that Cinderella's fairy godmother knows who John Constantine is. Yes. And now every time I go back and watch Cinderella, which I do at least six times a month, 
I will headcanon that. <laughs> that, that. That is true. Yep. That uh, she she knows him and is going to be hanging out. But she, she, she would rather go back to hell than anger the person that is coming for Constantine. Right. So so do you know, like, I have not been keeping up with the news as closely as surrounds this show over the break as I have in off seasons past. Do you know anything about who the primary villain of this season is supposed to be? I don't know yet. And Dave and I talked about this a little last time is that I hope that the writers have a I would rather introduce, introduce it to us now sooner rather than later. Because I feel like uh, with Malice, you waited so long, and then what we got at the end, you're like, this is it. Right. I was like, he looks fun, but that's mm-hmm. all? Yeah. Uh, you know, for as much as they were building it, you can't conceive of my form. And then we saw his form, and like... I could I could have conceived of that. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't that great? I think I... Yeah. So I'm hoping that they don't play so coy about you know who who or what this being is, and let us see him sooner rather see him it her rather, sooner rather than later. We have, uh, I'm sure we talked about this last season when we knew Constantine was going to be coming on full time. But if there was one kind of DC Dark Universe character that can show up, um, you know, as, as part of Constantine's involvement, who who is the one that you would like to see realized in the DC CW universe the most? If it wasn't going to be for the uh, the, the uh, DC streaming service doing Swamp Thing. Oh, I'd say Swamp Thing first, but yes. let's let's assume that Swamp Thing's probably off the table. So if it's not going to be Swamp Thing. I would want, I mean, Satana seems to be the, the easy choice for that because it's easy to do, but I'd almost like to see Dead Man. Okay, see, for me, it was going to be either Dead Man, because Zatanna I would love to see, but I feel like Zatanna is almost a little too similar in power set to Constantine, who's already on the team. Yeah. What I think would be really cool, if Batwoman gets her own series, have Zatanna show up on that. I think that would be a good call. Yeah. For me, it would be, yeah, it would either be Dead Man, or I would honestly, I'd really like to see Etrigan the Demon. That's a good choice as well, too. He'd be he'd be one of those characters that's, like, really expensive, and he'd have to be Jason Blood for most of the episode, and then in, like, you know, for a sequence at the end, like a five-minute sequence, then he Etrigan's out, and he's, like, kind of a CG thing. Gone, gone, a former man. Rise of Demon Etrigan. Let's do it. Uh, real quick, though, uh, you know, I feel like usually we try to do our special segment, uh, you know, uh, what's the beef? Yeah. If we have a beef here, but I feel like... I don't. Re- I, I want to have a beef about this episode, and I don't have one that's popping to mind. Whoa! Yes, well, that, that never that, happens. I, yeah, I mean, usually I'll find something, but you know, but I feel like everything would be like to, to be more nitpicky. Ladies so. and gentlemen, this is a very auspicious occasion. You are witnessing, I think, a first for the Legends of Tomorrow after show. Frank Moran, ladies and gentlemen, has no beef. Has gone on the record. Yeah. saying he, in fact, has no beef with Legends of Tomorrow episode 402. Yeah, that's true. I, you know, because usually I'm, uh, I'm a, I will pick up that beef no matter how minuscule, and I will just kind of try to dine on it. Yeah. And yet I feel like I, I, I don't really have anything that stuck out to me. You're stepping into the light. No, no, no. How does it feel? No, I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. Don't resist the light, Frank. <laughs> but we will do some uh, hot news. Ooh, hot news. Yes. That's my favorite kind of news. After Buzz TV News. So, of course, uh, next week, Legends of Tomorrow, episode uh, three for season four. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, Maisie Richardson Sellers, who was playing Vixen, on, uh, you know, for the past couple seasons. Yes. Uh, she had gone back to uh, her, uh, her village at the end of the season. Her Nate parted ways, even though she decided she wanted to keep all those memories as well. She decided not to kind of mind wipe herself. She wanted to remember everything. But she will be returning next episode as a different character named Charlie. That's going to be making her debut. Yeah. Uh, who or uh, what part Charlie will have of the story and how long she's going to be associated with the legends, uh, I don't know. So we haven't tipped at all kind of what, what her character is beyond being named Charlie. Correct. 
Uh, you know, there. I mean, she was supposed to be. She was there at Comic Con with the rest of the cast as well, talking. So I don't know if this is going to be a season long thing or just a couple appearances throughout the season, or maybe just a one off. But do you think that? Uh, do you think that maybe it's a descendant of Amaya? It could be. Do you think somehow maybe Amaya got displaced in time and Charlie's just her cover name? That's <laughs> yeah. I don't ever know, me. I'm Charlie. Or like you know, like an alt Earth. Like maybe maybe from now on, like Maisie Richardson Richardson Sellers will be their Tom Cavanaugh, and every season they'll just bring a new version of her on. <laughs> it's uh, I don't know. I mean, she you know she's I, I would want any actor to be able to get uh, continuous work for sure. But it'll be interesting to see how they they treat this because. As much as you want to have an actor have work and they, and the production may enjoy that, I feel like if the story has run its course, I don't know if I want to draw that back into it. So I, I don't know if I want to see a bunch of scenes of Nate running into Charlie like, oh, my gosh, how similar. And then we either play them kind of finding, you know, falling in love again or it's like total opposite. I want her so bad because she reminds me of Amaya, but she wants nothing to do with me. Yeah, that's true. I don't know if I want to wade through that morass either. Yeah, so tough to say. And uh, so... I feel we'll definitely have more answers and we can dive further into it. And there could be potential for future beef. Uh, I, I'm excited. I almost don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> yeah, there you go. About some future beef. But as we get ready to wrap up, folks, let's do a couple uh, predictions about what we think might be forthcoming. And now, your After Buzz TV predictions. I uh, am curious because... Knowing that the episode that uh, they say as season four, episode three is called Dancing Queen, made me think more of a 70s vibe. And yet the teaser for next week gave it very much like a punk rock uh, in the UK kind of vibe. Interesting. So I did not see the teaser. Yeah. So kind of more, you know, more like the uh, the Clash kind of vibe or uh, something like that. So uh, Sid and Nancy, maybe. So that's like that's Constantine's jam hard. Like that's yes. his, that's his entire scene. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know what, what we have live in store for us. What would you like to see if uh, you go back to some kind of like 80s punk metal or something like that? Well, so in my head, right, because a lot of the stills and some of the some of the kind of like not leaks, but so, some of the info that came out made it seem like they are going to be referencing ABBA a whole bunch in the episode. Or, or at least, I mean, look at the outfits in the stills. I see your phone. Yeah. Like, look at that outfit. Um, so I, I would like the idea of like them having to fight what is considered traditionally to be like demon music with their like super bright poppy music but i like the demon music and i don't want the demon music to lose but i do like i do like that it would give constantine uh, more reasons to drink and be surly because he likes that music well we do know that uh nate will be spending some time getting his first day of work around uh, with gary showing him around the time bureau so it is becoming more of a setting. So I feel like if you're going to put 2018 Time Bureau as another location for the show, it has got to pay off by the end of the season. I have been watching this show from going in four years now, waiting, uh, hoping we'd work in more corporatocracy. So it looks like we've got that coming our way. Uh, how it all t- ties in together by the end of the season, uh, we'll know when the season ends. And then we'll figure out, then we'll either we pat ourselves on the back. For all our prescient uh, knowledge that we're talking about now, or we just go like, what happened? We don't understand. We will internalize, and we will say, oh. Yeah. But, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it. Uh, Lex Michael, we made it through another episode of the Legends of Tomorrow After Show. We did. It's true. I couldn't have done it without you. Eh. I absolutely could not. Couldn't you have? I couldn't have. Couldn't you have? 
Uh, folks, uh, you know, and we couldn't have done it without you as well, uh, watching as well. Whether whether you're relaxing your couch at home, watching on your mobile streaming device, however you do it, thanks so much for joining us here. You can always like us on Facebook, give us those five stars on iTunes, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and thanks, everybody, for hopping in the chat. If you're watching the course after we stream live, feel free to comment down below. And if you want to stay in touch with either of us after the show's aired, Lex Michael, where can they find you? I am on Twitter and Instagram at the Lex Michael, and I also do a podcast with my buddy Tari J. Miller called Missing Out, all about the things that we love, why they resonate with us, and how they shape us the way that they do. It is the retrospective that is introspective. Check it out on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, iHeartRadio, uh, on Twitter at Missing Outcast. We've also got a hotline number. Check out the, uh, the Twitter and the show. You get that number. You call in. We'll play you on the show. Who doesn't like hearing their own voice? Check that out. I love you. Kiss. Look at that. What a salesman. Uh, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at HappyGoJackie. And next week we'll be back with another new episode of the Legends of Tomorrow After Show. Who knows who will be on this panel with me. I know I'll be here. Could it be all four of us? Could it be two? Could it be one? We'll see what happens. But you'll find out next Monday night right here on AfterBuzz TV. Speed off. Swamp off. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 